For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Coming up on In-Flight Snack, we have two episodes for you. We start with The Problem, and that's today's episode that you're going to be listening to now. What went wrong for the Jets, grades at each position, and a recap and grading of the entire Jets season. Now, part two, what can they do this offseason to fix it moving forward? That's going to be later this week, probably some point Thursday. But part one is coming up right now. The Jets, their season, their grades, a recap of the 2023 Jets season. Now that we're a couple of weeks away and we can have our heads screwed on straight, we can look at it from a bird's eye view. What do they call it? 200 feet up or whatever the hell it is. Bilal and I broke it all down. What happened in this Jets season? How did it go so wrong? And how can they fix it moving forward? We'll give you that as well. All that and a whole lot more coming up on In-Flight Snack. Stay tuned. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime with your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to BetOnline today to become part of the team. And remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, the game starts here. The snap clean, the placement down, the kick is up, and the kick hooks to the left, but it's gone! Inside the left upright for Zerline, and the Jets win it in overtime, and honestly, I'm not sure how! It's a toss with Powell, he's got the angle, he's got blockers, Powell working the sidelines! goes all the way. Touchdown, Jets. Yo, it's Quinn Wins here, and you listen to In-Flight Snack on the Believe Podcast Network. Let's make sure we play like the New York Jets. Let's go to eat a damn snack. Welcome back to In Flight Snack, a New York Jets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Rami Lavi. That's Bilal Powell. And I'm rocking the Rangers today because last night at MetLife Stadium, they used the Rangers used the Jets locker room, whereas the Islanders used the Giants locker room. And the Rangers score three goals in the final four minutes of the stadium game to come back and win in overtime 
a crazy win for the Rangers over the Islanders in front of 80,000 fans. And I am manifesting that for the New York Jets right now. They were in the Jets locker room. They won the game in dramatic fashion. When all hope was lost, when you thought it was over, when they were down with the net empty, they pulled the goalie with four minutes to go in the game and they're down two goals. You think the game is over. And then first it's Kreider, the captain, or not the captain, but alternate captain, who gets it going, gets a tip in on the power play. And then it's Mika Zibanejad tying the game with 90 seconds. And ultimately, Artemi Panarin wins it in overtime. The superstars came through for the Rangers. And I know this isn't a Rangers podcast, but they did it at MetLife Stadium. They did it in the Jets locker room. I am manifesting a great Jets season. So I'm feeling good right now. You know you love when I'm positive, Bilal. So good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And Rummy, I love to hear the positivity. Every time that I come on the show, when Rummy comes on positive, it's going to be a great day for me. But listen, let's use that momentum going into the offseason for the New York Jets. And hopefully uh, some some uh, future prospects are out there. Some free agents are looking to see, hey, I saw a hockey game in MetLife. Maybe that will bring them here to, to New York to help the New York Jets win some football games. So you know what was funny about it? And for, before we get too far off the rails. We're going to do a full offseason preview for the Jets, what they have to do to get better this year. But last night at the game, they had representatives of both the Jets and the Giants welcoming the Islanders and the and the uh, Islanders and Rangers to MetLife Stadium. And the Jets representatives were Solomon Thomas, obviously, you know, well-known in the organization. He was the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee, all that. Uh, they had Quinn and Williams, the best player on the team, arguably, obviously, right? They had, I think, CJ Mosley was there. So basically, they had strong representation from the New York Jets. And if I'm forgetting anyone, I apologize. The Giants had Tommy DeVito, who got benched last year. They had, and there's my thumbs up. I love when Apple does that. There's, they had, they had Tommy DeVito. They had Saquon Barkley, who's a free agent and might not get re-signed because he's not going to play on the tag again. We know that. And that's Sterling Shepard, who's also a free agent. So the Giants' representation was a mess. Uh, and the Jets, they have a young, strong core. So before we get into next season and the offseason, what they need to do, a quick season recap. And I know it's tough because we talk so much when we're in the moment about, oh, this was bad and this was awful. And the article that came out, scathing article and all those different things. But when you take a step back and you get a couple of weeks away, and this is the problem with Jets fans, the problems with me and why I'm so positive right now is because I'm a Jet fan and I'm cursed. I'm cursed with being a Jet fan that we convince ourselves that it's going to be better than it actually is, that no matter how bad it gets, we get riled up for the next season again. And it's a blessing and a curse because it makes us excited to watch football in six months from now. I'm going to be fired up to watch the Jets start the season and I love that, but at the same time, I'm going to get my hopes up again, and they're going to probably devastate me again. They're probably going to disappoint me again. But the season as a whole, all things considered, as crazy as it was, losing Rodgers four plays in, not replacing him, having no quarterback, they go seven and ten. Like, it could have been worse, right? Yeah, absolutely. And let's try some reverse psychology. Let's let's go in as a fan base saying it's going to be the same thing in free agency. It's going to be the same thing in preseason. It's going to be the same thing for the rest of 2024 for the New York Jets. So that way, if anything does happen, we do get excited. Not that we get excited and then we get our feelings hurt again. We get, you know, we, this time, I think this time you have to put the, the bags over your head like the Cleveland fans 
did at one point in time <laughs> up there in the stadium. But honestly, I, I still think that um, this organization is going to head in the right direction. Is the that, old, is that fair to say? I, I hope so. Don't set, set the expectations high, low. So set them low so that low. they can't disappoint you. Somehow you the Jets still managed to pull you down. Still, I don't know. Yeah, and, 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 absolutely. Or, or or let's just say, hey, you know, Zach Wilson does come back and have and has a, a all pro season, Pro Bowl season. I don't Zach know. Zach Wilson's not going to be on this team this this season. He's getting traded. Who knows? It's the New York Jets. That's true. You're right, see, man. You can't set the standards. <laughs> so you got to do the reverse psychology, right? He's going to be on the team. He's going to help us win. And then the opposite thing happens. And maybe it does uh, happen to where we're in New Orleans uh, for the Super Bowl next year <laughs> playing against I don't know who. You know. Oh, my but, God. Fingers crossed. Hey, but um, I, I do want to see uh, a bit momentum uh, shift in, in this offseason. And I, we know that Joe Douglas does a good job at, at, at free agency in the draft. So we'll get into that. But, man, I'm looking forward to it, honestly. Um, here I am again going to year five as a, as a you know, New York Jets fan. And I know you're going into it, what, year what? 16, 25. 25, <laughs> yeah. yeah, born into yeah. it. But, man, I, I still think every year, even though we're disappointed at the end of the year, that every year – there's an excitement about it. And hopefully this time that they can get it right. You have to go in with that mindset because that's what sports fandom is for. Think about it of the four major sports leagues, right? There's 32 hockey teams, 32 football teams, 30 baseball teams, 30 uh, basketball teams. I'm not very good at math. What is that? 124 teams. That's a lot of teams. Four of the 124 fan bases are going to be happy in the end. And the other 120 fan bases are going to end the season disappointed. Now, some more than others, the Jets, it seems like we're a lot more disappointed than others. But sports fandom, and I talk about this on WFAN sometimes, is built on hope and uh, most of the time, empty promise. But that's what keeps us going, that hope, that promise. Because 90% of the time, if you're not the Kansas City Chiefs, you are not going to be happy at the end of the season. That's just how it works. If you don't have Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady in the last 25 years that I've been a Jets fan, most of the time you are disappointed when the season ended and somebody was hoisting the Lombardi trophy. Now, there's a difference between getting knocked out in the conference championship in a crazy game against Patrick Mahomes versus losing your quarterback four snaps in. The Jets certainly have a special way of disappointing us. I know. Trust me. 2015 in Buffalo still hurts me. It hurts me, and I'm sure it hurts you too. But at the same time, it's all built on hope. It's different. That's maybe the biggest difference. You could tell me this. Is that the biggest difference from being an athlete where you feel like you have some sort of control over it to now transitioning to a fan where it's just hope. You can't do anything about it. There's nothing that you can do to change it. You're just out there hoping. Uh, honestly, it's it's the same on, on both sides. <laughs> being a player and now really? being a fan. Yeah, it, it is. And now, you know, we we talked about earlier in this year. Well, why is it the same as a as a player? Like you have control. Because though. there's still like, no there's still no control. You 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 do what you're coached to do. Like you, you, you know, those guys can't control the plays that are being called. They can't control the depth chart. They can't control none of that. Just like you as a fan, you can't control it. And those who are in indulged in fantasy football why in, why isn't this guy doing that well there's a there's a game plan that players have to follow that we we get 
frustrated just like you do as a fan base of saying that there's more that you can do from a, a game plan standpoint. Just like as a fan, you'd be like, there has to be something. What's going on? So the pieces that you see may be a little different from our perspective, but yet you're still in an organization that you can't control anything. And we talked about Zach Wilson and how Rob Asala, his 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 interviews just kept going in a circle. And the one piece that spoke up about Zach Wilson and all of a sudden he's he's now about to be a moving piece is Woody Johnson. And we talked about some someone having that control of having Zach Wilson in, and we saw it. And now that the 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 guy that can move the pieces says something, Zach Wilson is moving. Yeah, and it's just frustrating because we talk about it so much that who was the one who wanted Zach Wilson if it wasn't the the, the owner who owns everything, who changes everything? Like all the rumors were Woody Johnson, Woody Johnson, Woody Johnson. He doesn't want to spend the money. He doesn't want to give up on the second overall pick. He doesn't want to part with you know, certain sponsors and relationships that he has who might be related to Zach Wilson. And if you know, you know, uh, that's as much into it as I'm going to get right now. But the guy comes out and plays the victim in all of this. When meanwhile, I heard from, uh, there was a report that Rich Samini put out that during the year, Rich Samini was talking about how the defense wasn't as good as it was a little bit empty stats. And there was some story that he put out that Woody was chasing down Rich Samini, like, where would you get the source? What are you talking about? How do you know that? Like, like he, he dude, you got to just stay out of the tabloids, stay out of the headlines. I don't see the Hunt family running down stories. And to, to say that there were no distractions in Kansas City is so stupid. Like, they had Kadarius Tony going on Instagram Live the week of the Super Bowl complaining about the head coach, complaining about Andy Reid, who's like a Super Bowl winning coach, all-time great coach. They have the quarterback's dad getting arrested and him having to answer questions at Super Bowl week about his family. Like, there, there are distractions going on around you. There are things that are negative going on around you in great teams too. And yet, the great teams find a way to not make it a distraction and the Jets find a way to perpetuate it and continue to make it a distraction more than it has to be. Yeah, and you have to get winners. We, we talked about what... Um, Patrick Mahomes had to overcome this year. He didn't have the perfect team. He he didn't. You you talked about the drops. You talked about uh, the the team just not meshing, being being a camaraderie. Uh, you talk about the distractions. Everything that every other organization has has to go through. You have to go through it. But yet you still just have to have a winner. And you know I think the New York Jets need to go out and find that winning quarterback. You, you I don't know where it could be in Aaron Rodgers next year. Or it could be in bringing in a young guy to kind of, uh, I guess, be behind him to to kind of create a, a winning culture in this young man. But they just need to go out and find a winner and then find other pieces around him so that no matter who you put around him, just like Tom Brady, no matter who you put around him, he's going to make them a winner. And that's what Patrick Mahomes is. And that's the guy that we need in New York. And right now is Aaron Rodgers, right? He's a 40-some-year-old quarterback. But now you have to find that next guy that can come out and be the next winner in your organization. And that's going to be one of the priorities of the offseason is going to be finding that backup quarterback. So before we get into the offseason, let's do a little report card. Now I'm telling on ourselves a little bit because we said we were going to do this like every quarter of the season. We were going to give them a report card. But after the first quarter, it was like, why are we doing this? You know what I mean? Once we saw where this season was going. But now the season is over. It's wrapped up. Let's go through a little bit of a report card. Let's give some grades 
for the Jets. And we'll start with the quarterback position. And to me, there's no other way to put this. It was an F. The quarterback was awful. Four plays of Rodgers was lovely. But then Zach Wilson was terrible. Tim Boyle was worse. And Trevor Simeon, whatever. To me, I give the quarterback play for the whole season as the New York Jets overall an F. What do you have as a grade for the quarterback position for the Jets this year? Can I say incomplete assignment? Yeah, you can. Can I, can I say <laughs> that? Yeah. Can, I, can I just say that? They didn't even complete the assignment. Like, it, you yeah. can't even grade it. Like, it was it was that bad. Mm-hmm. And because they still had a chance to go out and fill that role, like, that was just an incomplete assignment for the New York Jets. Um, but no, um, jokes aside, absolutely have to go with you. It was an F. And, you know, there was a there was a small margin between Zach Wilson, uh, Boyle and Trevor Simeon. And they were all horrible. It was like, you know, what what they say, third time the charm. And then you find yourself back at Zach Wilson. That was horrible. Um, so definitely that room has to get an F. Yep. The offensive line is interesting because it dealt with so many injuries. I think the fact that these guys came in and were able to play as almost as good as they were, but they were a big part of the problem with the team. I give them a D plus because they weren't good by any stretch, but they dealt with so much. And you're talking about 15 different offensive line combinations and 17, 20 different guys having to play at the end of the day. No team is built for that kind of depth when you have that kind of issues on the offensive line. So as bad as it was, and it was one of the weaknesses of the teams to me, you can't even fault them so much. So by no means is D plus a good grade. But I'm not going to give them an F just because they failed at having uh, injury luck, right? They weren't healthy. That's where they really failed. So I guess a D plus. I had to go same thing, D plus. I mean, you talk about how many moving pieces were up, up front, you know, guys playing positions that they didn't play, size that, like, all that matters. Like, right guards going to left guard to everyone out there, that matters. Guys get used to drop setting. And from the left side, right side to going to another side, like it's it's all muscle memory. That's very hard to do. Um, it looks easy, but it's not easy. And to see those guys move around different pieces, guys come from off of the street, get signed on Monday and, you know, they're getting ready for a football game on Sunday um, while trying to learn the offense and learn the game plan and get ready for an opponent and still try to go out and compete at a high level. That's very hard. So, you know, obviously they didn't succeed in that area. Um, but yeah, you can't fail those guys. So D plus, I have to go with you on that one. The wide receiver room was not great to watch outside of Garrett Wilson, but Garrett Wilson is so special. Putting up a thousand yards with the quarterback play that he had is almost impossible. And he did it. But then beyond him, I mean, Alan Lazard checked out halfway through the season. Brownlee, we didn't see enough of. Obviously, Gibson, neither of us liked. We talked about that throughout the year. And it wasn't a personal thing. We just didn't think he was that good at football. Corey Davis retires before the season even starts. Everyone was an F. But and Garrett Nicole Wilson Hartman was catches so, a, and yeah, Nicole Nicole Hartman Hartman catches a Super Bowl winning touchdown. He, just he not did win the, the Super Bowl. Yeah, he did have the game-winning touchdown for the Super Bowl, so I guess you give him an A. Um, but, yeah. And, by the way, he had those were, like, his two catches of the Super Bowl were, like, the only plays he made with the Chiefs even when he went there. But he made the biggest catch of the game on that, that deep ball right before the Pacheco fumble, too, which is crazy. So, yeah, so 
Nicole Hardman gets an A plus and Garrett Wilson gets an A plus. Everyone else gets an F, but I think Garrett was so freaking good that he pulls everyone else up to a C plus. So while everyone is an F, everyone outside of Garrett Wilson, every other wide receiver on this team was an F, Randall Cobb included. Garrett Wilson is so good that he pulls them all up to a C plus with him. So I'm giving the wide receivers a C plus. I have to go to D minus. Yeah, I, I get it. Outside of outside of Garrett Wilson and what he's done, like you're talking about uh, Randall Cobb coming in, being a veteran, um, coming in, you, you know what his role was, and you know who was the guy that brought him in. And, you know, Alan Lazard, um, I mean, the amount of drops that he had for the amount of money that he's being paid, you don't want to see that in a veteran receiver. Um, I think there was a lack of, to me, just the play, just a lack of leadership in the veteran role in that room. Um, I, I knew why they bring it, why they brought in um, uh, Randall Cobb. Cobb. And Lazard, yeah. It, it, you know why, you know, to, to probably tell those other guys of what to expect from Aaron Rodgers. But when Aaron Rodgers went down, it was just like they went down. There was no enthusiasm. There was no, like, standout in the play. Like, we talk about that winning mentality. Like, those guys were a part of a winning culture, and you just didn't see that. And, you know, the guy that you brought in as a veteran and paid him money, he didn't step up. Like you said, he he kind of shied off, and, and, and you felt that New York pressure, that fan base getting to him. And I talked about that with you as, like, they'll love you or they hate you. And if you get on social media and you're not that guy that has armadillo skin, you're not tough skin, this this – this atmosphere in New York will make you fold. And I think we saw that in him. And, and hopefully, being back, he can step up and prove us wrong next year. Yeah, I hope so. And the running back room. Not as, as a number two. As, oh, who? Lazard. Yeah, no. They, they need someone else two. aside from they him. They need someone else, yes. and, and we'll get to that a little bit later because I think they need to restructure his contract too. You can't be making that kind of money mm-hmm. and, and, and be taking up that kind of cap space, that cap hit. Like, you have to know at some point, you have to have the self awareness. If you're Alan Lazard, like, I was awful last year. And I don't think he could. I, look, if Rodgers is back, I think he'll be more motivated and I'll, be, I'll play better again. But you never know. It could be a case of a guy just got paid and didn't care anymore. Like, yeah. that, that's happened. We've, seen, We've seen it happen before. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't know that that's necessarily going to help Rodgers coming back if that's the case. So, you know, at some point, you have to go to him and be like, hey, we need you to restructure because if you're going to be this total zero that you are, you, we can't have you making this kind of money and taking up this kind of cap space. The running back room, again, a case of, you know, you have Brees Hall who was so good coming off an ACL and I think he should have been the comeback player of the year. For everything he did, it's unbelievable for a guy coming off an ACL and looking like everyone talks about, no, it's really the second year off the ACL that you're really good. He played half a football season in his career before getting hurt and then comes back in what is essentially the continuation of his rookie season, right? And was this dominant? That was incredible to me. Everyone else sucked. Izzy was nice at the end of the year. Like, I like seeing a little bit out of him. Dalvin Cook didn't really play much. He was bad early and then he didn't play much. But hey, he made it to the AFC Championship game, similar to Nicole Hardman. Uh, but again, I think because... No one else was as bad as the rest of the wide receiver room. And mostly you're using only one running back on the field at once. So because Brees was an A plus, 
I give the room as a whole an A minus because I didn't think everyone else brought down the the room enough that you can take away from what Brees did this season. Um, I have to go with a B. Okay, I have to give that room That's a fair. B, and and here's why. Um, you bring in Dalvin Cook, and he wasn't productive as at all. And you can blame it on the offensive line, but Brees Hall ran and played behind the same offensive line, and we saw the explosion that this young dude had off of an ACL. And then you you talk about Michael Carter, right, that they traded. I, I still think he yep. should have been a number two guy. I don't think you should have even went and got a Dalvin Cook. Um, oh, he thought I mean, so too. He let you know on social media that he thought yeah, he should have been the number two guy. I, I thought so. And, um, you know, obviously seeing a young Izzy um, – like you said, though, Brees Hall did something special behind that offensive line. I think if you put him behind the offensive line that has a, a couple pro bowlers or a consistent offensive line, he would have been down as a pro bowler. And unfortunately, man, being honest with you, having a young guy that explosive coming up on what his third year, it's almost like how many more years are you going to get out of this young man before he decides to say, hey, I want to go a different direction? Because at some point in time, as a, as a running back, and we know this market, you have to go where you're going to be successful. And he's probably looking at it now, third, going into his third year coming up. Okay, I had an injury, and now, you know, I know I could have been this, and, you know, they didn't help me out here. Those questions start to come in. So, I, But I still give him a, a B as an overall Brees Hall, A-plus for his production behind that, you know, so many moving pieces up front. And just a horrible yeah. offense, period. Yeah, exactly. Of, of when, where they did. could stack the box and know that you're not going to beat yeah. us throwing, so we could put eight guys in the box. And yeah. with Brees, it's interesting because he's not a first-rounder, so he doesn't have that. You can't pick up that fifth-year option on him, right? So yeah. you have to make a decision, you, you know, what's with, with his contract sooner rather than later. So that's also kind of a frustrating part. It's a catch-22 because you don't want to draft running backs in the first round because you don't want to have to pay them first-round money anymore mm -hmm. because of the value of running backs has gone down. And we'll talk about this throughout the offense season just because you're a running back you play the position we'll see how it plays out with Saquon and we're going to run out of topics pretty soon so we're going to talk about this I'm sure throughout the offseason maybe we'll get Tiki on here because he played when running backs got paid you know yeah. um, but you know it, all these different things with the running backs and the paying you want to it's a catch too. you want to draft them in the first round because you want to have that fifth year option you want to have five years of control on a running back because that way you can, after five years, you don't sayonara, right? We don't have to pay you anymore, or maybe we could franchise tag you a couple of times and then we're done with you because seven years of running back is pretty much a shelf life for a great running back anyways. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to give them first round money. So it's 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 a catch-22. Do you draft them in the first round or do you not draft them in the first round? So that's, that's kind of uh, in a nutshell. We'll get into that probably later in the offseason. As far as the tight end position, and then we'll uh, we'll judge the coaching staff, but <laughs> the tight end position and defense, don't worry, we'll get to all of it. The tight end position, to me, Tyler Conklin was great. Jeremy Rucker was great. Like, they weren't, like, world-class. They weren't making great catches, but they were good in the passing game, and they were good in the run game also. They were good at blocking. They helped out a bad offensive line. I thought a B-minus. I think uh, CJ Uzama is a total zero, 
and he's done nothing for this team since signing him. He's probably a guy who gets cut if he's not cut already. I think there were some decisions made this week. So CJ Uzama is going to be probably gone. I think he's a vibes guy. Everyone seems to like him. Like Conklin and Rucker maybe are more interesting dudes, especially Conklin. But Conklin's actually like a really solid tight end. Like that was a great like under the radar pickup in the same offseason that they got Uzama, they got Conklin. And Conklin's good in the pass game shorthanded remember that one drive against kansas city that zach wilson looked like you know the best quarterback in the world on that one drive he throws that back shoulder a couple of times to conklin like conklin's great um you know Ruckert's coming up they're both good in the pass game blocking and they're both good in the run game blocking so i like both of those guys you know not great but a b minus i have to go with that i, I like that great b minus for like you said man just just from an, an entire season that I mean, the productivity that this offense had. Yeah, you're not going to get a ton of you, passing out of them. You're not. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, he couldn't hit Garrett Wilson, so let alone try to hit some tight ends. But, <laughs> exactly. And so I, I guess when, when you look at their grade, I said, you know, their productivity based on, you know, their opportunities. I think they executed well, like you said, in the run game, in the pass game, when the ball did come to them, um, that they did a good job up front for those guys. Um, I, I do like the fact that you did say, you know, Uzama hasn't produced since we've signed him. And, you know, that's obviously a decision that has to be made today or, or whenever it happens. But, yeah, I have to go with that grade. I like that grade with that group. The offensive coordinator is the worst offensive coordinator in football. <laughs> he's a total zero. I give him an F. And at the same time, that doesn't mean I know he's coming back, but I talked about Matt Eberflus on last episode. So, like, it's possible to be great with a terrible offensive coordinator, but this guy, the lack of creativity, not changing the playbook after Rodgers went down, not adjusting to Zach Wilson. And apparently even before that, when he read this article, he watched no film in practice, didn't help the offensive line, refused to double team Micah Parsons against the Cowboys. Like how unprepared can you be? The guy is the worst. And yet he's coming back next year, but total effing zero. And if I could give him an F minus, I would. For Nate Hackett, the offensive coordinator, how would you grade the OC of the New York Jets? I have to say a big, fat F. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, any any comments? Oh, do you want to elaborate? I mean, you you said it. You, I mean, the yeah, the lack there's, of there's creativity, the the lack of. I mean, you you're paid to do this, so you know you have to look at your personnel grouping, and you have to find a way to get the guys. Who can help you win the ball? Um, I, I still don't understand the McCall, the McCall Hardman signing and not using him. I still don't understand that. Um, we saw how you can use him. I, obviously, Kansas City did when they brought him back over, even mm-hmm. when they didn't use him as much as we did or expected to re-sign him. I he didn't make any adjustments with injury. Um, I just I have to give him an F. Like and just a lack of effort. It was just, it looked like a game plan that you just couldn't figure something out. So you just said, hey, it's my way or the highway. That's the easy way out. It, when I look at what happened with that offense when Aaron Rodgers went down, looking outside, outside looking in, it looked like he was just like, you know what? I'm going to just take the easy way out. Hey, guys, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. And, it. and it just looked like the easy way out. Instead of trying to get creative, staying hours and hours in the office, trying to find a way to win for your team, it just looked like he coasted uh, with the play calling. 
All right. Well, we know Woody Johnson listens to the media and probably watches our show. So I want to talk about it a little bit later, people yeah. watching our show. But yeah, Woody. Yeah. Yeah, Woody. Yeah, Woody. You you know what's up. <laughs> Let's start Bring me with in, the Woody. Team. I'll get creative. I agree. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball uh, and start with the D-line. Obviously, Quinnen, the edge rushers, the jump that was made by um, guys like Jermaine Johnson. I give it an A. It wasn't perfect at times, but it's as good as it could be. I love Quinnen. The other guys on this line did a great job. An A? I, I can't really elaborate. There's a lot of really positive on this defense. I give the D-line an A. I'll take A. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, for being on the field as much as they were, exactly. <laughs> those big guys up front bed tired and, you know, the offense not being able to extend drives and, you know, they're, they're battling through long drives. Um, you have to give them an A. Yep. As far as the defensive backs, let's go there next. I give them an A- minus only because it felt like at times Reed was exposed a little bit. Um, and the safeties sometimes got exposed, but Sauce Gardner, every time I watch something like, and I look at the peripherals and some of the stats, advanced stats on pro football focus or something, I'm like, this guy is so special. And you know what makes me laugh about Sauce? He's big on social media. He's doing the Twitch streams, playing video games. And like, he plays it off cool. Like he's not like, like he doesn't care. Like he doesn't put a lot of effort into this. Like he's like, yeah, I just ball on Sunday, but like the rest of the time I'm not. This guy must put a ton of work in, and, and you could tell me what you think. I don't think you can get to the level that he's at without putting a ton of work in his technique, how smart he is, how gifted he is. I feel like this guy is putting in the work 24-7 and plays it off like, nah, I'm not really, uh, I'm too cool for school. I don't really care that much. Um, I just show up on Sundays and ball. Like, Is it possible that this guy's actually like that? Or this guy has to be putting in a crazy amount of work, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's putting in the work. Um, he, he seems like a guy that doesn't really uh, put all his uh, business out in social media as far as what he's doing uh, in his life. Um, but I have to go. Right, he plays you like went a minus, guy, right? You know? Did you? Yeah, go I said a minus. I have to go B plus. I think that this was the one of the weakest units on the defensive side, on the defensive backs, um, outside of Sauce. Uh, I just think this was the most inconsistent group yes. out of those guys um, for sure so i have to definitely go with a, a b plus you know i like dj reed but yet you know at times he did get exposed and you know obviously you have to play a um put in put in a factor as the offense not staying on the field the guys running and chasing receivers all game like there's so many things that um go into you know giving up the big plays on the defensive side of the ball but this was the unit that i felt like got exposed the most um, at times, and uh, I just have to go with a B plus. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a second. I because I, I do have something on that, but let's hit the linebackers first. And one of the things you mentioned is being on the field so much, and that's such a position that requires over and over hard hitting, flying across the field effort. And sometimes it felt like when the Jets, even in games when they were down and you knew they had no chance, Quincy and CJ Will, uh, CJ Mosley, Quincy Williams and CJ Mosley found ways to bring the effort and bring the energy every single ga game. Those two guys were awesome. So for me, I'm giving an A-plus to the linebacker core with C.J. Mosley and Quincy Williams. Where are you going with the linebackers? 
A plus. That that to me, you know, we talk about that defensive line and, and what those guys can do and, and the opportunities that they create for everyone across the board on the defensive line, not just, you know, Quentin Williams. But I think this is defense, our strongest part of the defense is the linebackers. And and to me that 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 says a lot because I think that interior linebackers, inside linebackers, they're the quarterback on defense. And when you talk about those guys being the commander in chief on the defense, all that is like a ripple effect um, to everyone else. And, and it's two Susan guys, Moses, it's, yeah. yeah, because yeah, and they still had two guys. Yep. When like Fred Warner, I think is the best off off ball linebacker in football. But when Greenlaw went down, Warner wasn't as good. So to have both of those guys, Mosley mm-hmm. and CJ, yeah. So I think that's the strongest unit. I yep. think that's the strongest unit, and they complement each other differently. They they got two different. They have two different playing styles. Like Quincy's range on the field yep, is insane. All over and he's not a and he's not a big guy. I think when people look at him, he's not a big guy. He's maybe yep. five eleven, six foot, two twenty five, yep. two thirty, and he's flying around his range to go sideline to sideline. Uh, being able to drop set and take away pass lanes, and then be able to close on the ball on the underneath routes. It's insane for this guy, man. And you know, like I said, this is this is the strongest unit on that defense. So A plus for me. And then this is kind of where you know we kind of differed because you gave a little bit of a weaker grade to the corners. I'm giving that weaker grade to the defensive coordinator. Now I love Jeff Ulbrich. I think he's awesome, and he's he's the energy he brings. I would make him the head coach tomorrow. We know that. I love Jeff Ulbrich. But I think at times the scheme hurt, uh, specifically hurt DJ Reed. We saw at times the stubbornness to not change the defensive scheme where he's one-on-one against one of the top receivers or you're mm-hmm. not traveling the field with, with Sauce Gardner. So as much as I love him and I and second halves, they really did adjust really well. Like a lot of times they came out in the second half and the defense made adjustments. But in-game, in the first half, it felt like sometimes they were stubborn with their game plan with how they wanted to run certain things. So stubborn with their scheme. So I'm giving a B-minus to um, Jeff Ulbrich and the defensive coordinator. Uh, I have to go... I have to go B-plus. Okay. B-plus. And, you know, you, to, to, to think that Jeff Ulbrich played the game and you would think that he'll be the guy to say, well, we have to... You know, I came up in an era, and and I'm sure he came up in an era where your number one receiver follows the number one receiver. Number one cornerback, I'm sorry, follows the number one receiver. To me, like, if I look at our defense, I'm like, well, they they don't have songs. I'm going to find a way every way. And we talked about that Dallas game of how CeeDee Lamb was inside, outside, off the ball, motion. They found ways to expose the weakness of that defense with C.D. Lamb, and I talked about it. I think that's when we first mentioned it. Like, why is it Sauce Gardner following C.D. Lamb? I don't care if he's yep. inside outside. You put your best guy, just like I saw Darrell Revis, follow number one guy. I remember when he went inside, Wes Worker, when, when was, he was in New England. Darrell Revis is in a slot playing this guy. Man to man, off the ball, you can't get your hands on him. He still was. We've seen him on Gronk one on one, like cover one like on tight ends sometimes. Yeah, exactly. You put your you put your number one cover guy on a number one receiver. Now you you yep. would think that Jeff would know that being a guy that played the game for a very long time, but you know, like you said, it was a stubborn um, 
uh, scheme, and I think it got exposed at times. So I I'll go with the B plus instead of a B minus because they still did a tremendous job of uh, keeping teams out of the end zone, which is very hard to do in this league. Um, you know, obviously, I like to see them um, improve their defense more in you know midfield to backed up to where they're not going ten play drives and then having to you know settle for field goals on the defensive side. Keep them out of that friend zone to the red zone. Um, I like to see that improve more, but I have to go with a B plus based on some of the schemes that I saw for certain teams that had uh, Pro Bowl type receivers. Yeah, I think that's fair. Now, special teams we're going to do as a whole, and to me, despite the not great consistency within the return game, I think it's an A plus plus because Thomas Morstead having to punt and what he did all season punting, and then. One of the most underrated things about the Kansas City Chiefs dynasty to me is the consistency and how money Harrison Bucker is every single time. Extra point, field goal. We saw that you, you almost don't sweat it with him, right? Like we saw how much it cost San Francisco in the playoffs by missing an extra point. To me, having a guy like Greg Zerline, that every time he lined up, it was like he's going to nail this no matter where he's lining up from and you felt confident about it, is such a game changer. And if the Jets do compete next year with Aaron Rodgers, you need a field goal kicker who's just going to hit it from wherever and you don't even have, like, you're not sweating it every time a kicker kicks it, you know? So between Brent Boyer and what they do and some of the scheme, uh, obviously uh, Justin Hardy and some of those guys on the on the punt unit and like the punt coverage unit and Greg... Uh, Greg the legs are line and Thomas Moore said I give them all an A plus plus and at the end of the day we didn't love the return game but they still returned the kick for a touchdown right <laughs> um, so on opening day so uh, I go A plus plus with special teams overall yeah I'll go with an A, a um, <clears throat> excuse me I go I have to give them an A and and the reason is this is um I think Xavier Gibson uh, when you talk about the lack of return. It had nothing to do with scheme. I just think it's the player. Um, he wasn't you know, great, no. He, he wasn't great, but, you know, being able to go out and get a return guy, you know, from all the streets, a guy that can be explosive, someone that could, you know, I think they, they had the opportunity to go get someone else that could have been a game changer in that because I saw the scheme and, and some of the things that happened and, and why it wasn't successful was not because of the scheme. It was just because of the execution of the player. Just not having that that, that extra step. Like he's not the fastest on the field. He's not. And I and I seen the step, and you know that that one step, that faster step, where I would have loved to see McCole Hardman in the return game. I think that the Jets really dropped the ball on that part of bringing him in, a guy that's explosive. You're talking about a four three forty versus Xavier Gibson, who you know I think he was four five four six ish. That makes the difference in this. And you're talking about experience. I think that makes the difference of maybe a couple games uh, difference. You know, not instead of sitting at 7 and 10, maybe you're 9 and 8. I don't know. You get into the playoffs based on, you know, field position and flipping field position in, in the return game. But I have to give him an A. Um, Brent Boy is my dude, man. You, you got to meet that guy. He's, he's a solid guy. We have to have him on. You have to reach out to him. He'll come on the show and we'll talk because we've been singing his praises all year. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's th there's no reason for him not to come on. All right. That is the season recap and the grades. Now, how can we improve? How can we get better? What are their needs this offseason? We'll talk about all of that coming up. 
And you can hear all of that on Thursday. We'll be releasing that. Bilal and I went through the Jets' off-season formula for success, how they can come back stronger and better than ever. We'll talk about that later this week. Until then, please like, subscribe, share the podcast with a friend. We appreciate you. And by the way, it's a great episode next one. We ended up getting off topic with a bunch of different things. It was really fun. And we also talked about the backup quarterback spot, wide receivers, offensive linemen. We talked, like I said, about Bilal and Mike Tannenbaum, who drafted Bilal Powell. So all that and a whole lot more later in the week. Until then, please like, subscribe. Make sure you don't miss that episode. As always, until next time, Rex. Let's go to eat a damn snack. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.